Sad But Cute, a podcast by me, Shan. Episode numero dos. Thanks for coming back. My name is Shannon and I'm your host. Welcome. I appreciate the feedback on the first episode. It's scary doing new things, putting yourself out there, but it's a heck of a lot easier when there's a community of people out there that are so supportive and encouraging. Y'all are seriously the best. I've gotten questions on if there'll be guests in the future and the format of the podcast, and as this is new, it's always evolving, but to answer your question, yes, there'll be guests, different topics, different discussions, lots of different things that we'll be covering in the future. So on today's podcast, we are going to be discussing living arrangements. I have had quite a few and spent the better part of the last year and a half alone in mine. But before we get to that, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Honorable mentions, where I honorably mention some sad but cute moments from my everyday life. My neighbor Curly goes grocery shopping as soon as the store opens up in the morning, and sometimes so do I, which means that I see him from time to time, but he always pretends that he doesn't see me, probably because his only groceries are a very large pack of Budweiser, dog treats, and a single pack of hot dogs. When I wake up in the morning, my joints are pretty stiff, so I have to use a heating pad, which I fondly refer to as best friend, even in the dead of summer, to loosen them up a bit and get out of bed. Then I shuffle my way into the bathroom. I always wanted to be a Disney princess. I just hadn't quite imagined myself as Quasimodo. I miss eating cottage cheese. Call me granny, but it's one of my faves especially with a little sprinkle of black pepper. I recently tried to befriend my mailman, since he's the only human I see on a regular basis, but he wasn't having it. His loss. A few years back, after a job transition and some personal losses, I was feeling all the emotions. I hadn't cried in a long time, and my body wasn't used to the tears. And let me tell you, there were lots of tears. Lots and lots of tears. So many tears that I developed a sore on my left eye corner from crying myself to sleep. The salt from my tears burned my skin raw. I recently watched a video a friend posted of a little tiny baby hatchling leaving the nest for the first time, only to immediately be swept up from out of the sky by a huge hawk, just like that. Really sad, but he was real cute before the hawk. Those are just a few sad but cute honorable mentions.
As I mentioned before, today I'll be discussing living arrangements. Now, that may seem like a pretty unworthy subject, but I promise this is not a dull topic for me. I've lived in a lot of places with a lot of different people, which makes for some pretty great stories. And boy, do I have some stories. But I've also learned some pretty worthy lessons along the way, too. Home has always felt like this elusive idea that I was chasing after. Most of my childhood, I spent more time outside or at a friend's house than I did at my own home. I think that was my subconscious way of protecting myself from the instability in my own house. The food was better, though, which means Brazilian food is what tastes like home to me. I'm sure I'll get more into my story of origin at some point in the podcast, but one thing that's pretty vital on the topic of living arrangements is that I've been homeless twice, once in my youth and once as an adult. In middle school, my family hit a really rough patch, and despite our best efforts, we were evicted and left with nowhere to go. We ended up in a family shelter in Boynton Beach that had no air conditioning, was infested with roaches, and left much to be desired. My sister and I watched our VHS tape of Clueless over and over as a form of escape, which means that I now have that movie memorized verbatim, word for word, I can quote it. After getting out of the homeless shelter, we moved into an apartment in a less than desirable area as they allowed tenants with poor credit. They just increased the cost of rent. It's the last place my mother lived, the place that she was pronounced dead, the place I stood outside of as the corner van pulled up and the neighbors started to gather and stare. It's not a place I miss. Sorry for the downer, but this is sad but cute, so it's kind of what you signed up for by listening. From there, I went on to a ministry training program in Illinois, where I moved in with four girls from across the U.S., two from Wisconsin, one from Alabama, and the RA from Oklahoma. Lots of stories from our time together. My favorite being when one of them pushed the other down a flight of stairs during a temper tantrum because she talked during an episode of Trading Spaces, which I might add was on tape and could be rewound to watch again. But I digress. Four teenagers under the care of an early 20-something in a state none of us are from. Hmm. College living. The stuff nightmares are made of. My nightmares, at least. But I learned a lot about home being away from mine for the first time. And I learned a lot about family watching my roommates interact with theirs, whether on the phone or even going with them to visit theirs on the weekend. That's not where the living arrangement fun stops. Oh no, the stories get better. I've been an RA lived in a frozen, partially finished basement without a bedroom door, crashed on couches, shared a room with a two-year-old, slept on an air mattress in my childhood best friend's office for months, lived in a fifth-floor apartment overlooking the horse racing track with a stranger where I woke up one night being licked by a very large dog. 
The only problem being, we didn't have a large dog, or a dog at all. One of my most story-filled living situations was the year I spent with a family, my second year away at school. In a measure to save students money, you could be housed with a host family. They agreed to give you a room and feed you during the school year. Most of these families had been doing this for years. I had met many, and it felt like stepping into a Hallmark movie. Beautiful homes with idyllic families, dinner at a table together every night. Although a uh, pretty foreign concept to me, I was looking forward to my time with a typical American middle-class family, and then I met the host family that I would be living with. The uh, arrangements made for me were unique. A friend a year ahead of me had secured housing with a friend's parents, who I had not yet met, and agreed to house one additional student. I was thrilled. Free housing with one of my closest friends? Does it get much better? On move-in day, I pulled up to the house and was a bit surprised by what I would find. This couple had an affinity for the color blue, and not like a pleasant blue like navy. This was off-putting medical-grade blue. Blue washed brick and blue siding, blue door and blue mailbox, But the blue didn't stop at the exterior. Oh no. The blue carried through every detail in the home, down to the cutlery. Blue bathroom, curtains, towels, drapes, couches. A sea of blue, no pun intended. Now, I like the color black, so I kind of get it. But I looked past the blue and thought, you know, color coordination can sometimes just make things easier. Alas, the quirks would not end at blue. This couple was in their late 50s, early 60s, and had two college-age daughters of their own. It would soon become apparent that the wife, while kind, suffered from severe social anxiety and was in some ways trying to soothe her separation anxiety from her own children by housing us. It made things awkward and put a lot of unnecessary pressure on the two of us. The husband, on the other hand, was extremely social. As a former pastor, he loved meeting strangers and hosting guests and invited us to bring friends over whenever we wanted. Big, big mistake, as I would soon come to realize, after a very awkward confrontation with a guest I brought. The rules would soon change, and we were not allowed to bring guests in the house. After that encounter, our food situation also changed. It went from fully stocked fridge and home-cooked meals to a corner of the fridge scarcely filled with Swiss cheese slices and prepackaged turkey meat, diet root beer, and if we're lucky, fat-free cottage cheese. You know, a balanced diet. Living there helped me get over my fear of needles, though, which has proven helpful to this day because I had to start selling my plasma to buy my own groceries. But my favorite thing that happened while I lived there, and believe me, this would be an hours-long podcast if I were to tell them all, was when they went away on a weekend trip. This was their first time leaving us alone at the house, and shockingly, they told us that we could have guests. Girls only, of course. But 
They said we could have guests because they wouldn't be there, and they even left us pizza money. Are you shocked? Because I was shocked. Party plans were in full swing. A girl's night like no other was in the works. It felt so strange having people over. The pizza was delivered, and we start the movie, when all of a sudden we hear a pop, the TV screen flashes, and then goes completely dark. Oh, shite. We've been alone for like five minutes, and the TV is already broken. We try not to freak out. We go on about the evening sans TV. We go to do the dishes when water starts flooding out from underneath the kitchen sink flooding y'all. The pipes are clogged or maybe frozen and I can't shut off the water. Did I mention it was winter? And the house full of 19 year old girls has no idea what to do. So I call the men's RA from the school and ask him to come over because I'm sure they don't want their house to flood more than they want it to be man free for the weekend. We have pots and pans trying to catch the water and they're filling fast, so I go to toss the water into the backyard via the sliding sliding glass door and the door just falls off and crashes to the ground. Now in the matter of hours, the TV has broken, the pipes have burst, and the sliding glass doors have just totally busted. I felt for sure there were hidden cameras and some TV hosts were about to pop out. The RA managed to temporarily fix the pipe, Jimmy rigged the sliding glass door, and we asked him to leave an official message on their machine to let them know that he was there and that we weren't being careless. We were terrified for them to come back. And you know the only thing that we got in trouble for? Having a man in the freaking house. All said and done, I survived that year, 50 pounds lighter and detesting the color blue, but I survived. I've had 23 roommates before finding Chateau de Chambeau, the place where I've resided for the last almost six years. It's my less than 400 square foot cave of wonders where I can't keep anything alive, even me, but finally it feels like home. And it's a good thing, too, because I spent the better part of a year and a half alone in it. And by alone, I mean a few feet away from my neighbors, Curly and his dog Terry on the right, and Karen and the stray cats on the left. And yes, those are their real names. Now, to give you some context, Curly is in his 70s and has lived here for 20 years. Karen is in her 60s and has lived here for 15 years. And Terry is Curly's dog. But before he was Curly's dog, he lived in my apartment with the previous owner, who when she moved out, sadly just left Terry in the backyard. So, so sad. Now, Terry is a complete mutt. But I'll admit it, he can be kind of cute when he isn't barking incessantly. Curly is kind of the uh, self-proclaimed boss of our property. uh, And I play into his ego a time or two just to, you know, pump him up a little bit. 
Curly has uh, staked his claim on our shared backyard, and I use the term shared loosely as in I have no space back there. Karen has an entire couch lounge area set up, and Curly has kind of taken over. He has an elaborate setup. TV wired for cable, a bar, chair, grill, the whole deal. Even Terry has his own space, which is set up where I would have some bit of furniture if given the option. Mm, Speaking of curly space, it happens to be right outside of my bathroom window, which is a little awkward when I'm in there doing my business. I have been tempted a time or two to uh, try to carry on a conversation just to see how much he can hear, but, you know, some things I should pretend are private. Uh, Curly is very vocal, and I think that may be from living by himself for over 30 years. He talks to Terry all the time, and Terry talks back really loud. Um, Curly is an early riser, and the fact that his TV is outside means that the TV is on from sunup till sundown. Doesn't matter if it's raining, doesn't matter if it's sweltering hot, one of the most dependent things in my life is that Curly will be outside watching his television. Mm, Curly and Karen used to both be smokers, but Curly quit and Karen didn't, so Karen still secretly smokes in the front yard, which means that uh, I can never escape my my neighbors, uh, which also means that she has taken a liking to the stray cats and begun naming and feeding them. Now, for those of you that don't know me, I do not like cats. I recently actually uh, fired my newest therapist at the uh, suggestion that I should adopt a cat. It was enough for me to say, no thank you, next. But that's, uh, that's a story for another time. Despite all of these comical factors, this place is still a piece of paradise. If you've never lived alone, I highly recommend doing it at least once in your life. I don't think I can ever live with another human being again, except for a forever roommate with, you know, certain benefits. While having cancer and chronic illness alone sucks at moments, I could not imagine navigating the really hard days while sharing space with another person. There are days when I don't even want to be in the same space as me. Some of that is my personality, and some of that is practical. My bathroom needs alone would put me on the uh, bad roommate watch list, unless you really enjoy the sound of retching. Sorry in advance to the man that one day gets to call me his. Gastroparesis and cancer drugs can be a real B. Even while sick and hurting, my home offers me a safe place for that story to unfold, and I think that's what makes it a home and not just a house. I've been in some beautiful houses in my day, as I had a pretty lucrative house-sitting side hustle for years. Despite the fact that these spaces were elaborately adorned with the finest furnishings and art that was worth more than my life, they were nothing more than houses. They lacked soul. They lacked stories. 
I've long waited to create a home where no matter who walked through the door, they felt that they belonged and that they could take a deep breath. They could settle in and just be. No expectation, no demands. I want peace to saturate my space. I want there to be safety. I want it to offer stability. I want my home to offer a physical manifestation of everything I aim to be. My decorating style may be an acquired taste, but I love it. I don't know that there's one word to describe it. Maybe hmm, boho chic with an air of tribal, with a neutral palette tone, tchotchke loving, maximalist, minimalist, with a touch of nature. Hmm. That's a lot of words, and I'm still not sure it quite describes it. But regardless of that, I want there to be a sense of familiarity cultivated in the atmosphere, one that communicates it's safe to be known here. One of the best compliments I can be paid is when people come over and say, I could just take a nap right now. And maybe it's because I'm boring company, or maybe it's because they are so at ease they can put their guard down and be at rest. We all need a place to rest. I know all of you listening to this come from a variety of upbringings. I've observed an increase in those I come across that have a more tumultuous home life versus a traditional one. I'm not even sure what a traditional home is anymore, and that's okay. But those tumultuous upbringings bleed their ways into our own homes. We learn to thrive in stress, live in an unhealthy pace of always having to perform, and use our houses to hide our private lives, to mask our pain, to silence shame, and to keep out anyone or anything that may shed light on our imperfection. Growing up, our home was off limits often, but I don't want to live that way anymore. My home has been a battleground for my mental health, a field where I fight my anxiety, the dark room where I take my depression naps, where I've mourned many losses, cried many tears, the cave I sink into when when it all feels like way too much, but I also let the light in. It's where I've hosted girls' nights and made feasts for my chosen family, It's where I've had epic Uno showdowns with my niece and nephew and hosted friends from out of town. It's where I've wiped the tears from friends' cheeks over a good cup of coffee. Life happens here in fullness. There are no boundaries here because I'm safe here, because it's home. Cultivating home doesn't happen overnight, but once you find home, there's no place like it. I would say my door is always open, but I also happen to be an introvert, an extroverted introvert, but an introvert nonetheless. So maybe call ahead just to get approval before showing up. And you don't have to have someone in your house to be home to them because home isn't just a space. You just need to be a safe place for them to land with a warm welcome in your eyes.
Now, before I let you go, I came across this initiative based in Baltimore um, that's working with inner city youth, and they have a project called the Finding Home Project, and it's a writing initiative, and they were working with uh, adolescents, and their prompt was, Home Is, and I Would Like to Read. Uh, This one was by Messiah, who is aged 10. Home is every time we find or get change, we put it in a jar. Home is watching basketball with my stepfather and brother. Home is eating tilapia with my family. Home is my stepfather waking me up by cutting on the light. Home is going to the backyard. Home is smelling cooked food. Home is staying up late and eating junk food with friends. Home is seeing my baby cousin. Home is only watching my phone, watching Instagram. And this one is called My Home by Dariana, aged eight. Home is playing on my phone. Home is school and play. My home is friends and Terry. Home is my cat. Home is chicken and playing outside. My home is cooking with mom and helping mom. Home is dancing and singing. I realize that... um, the word home may be triggering for some of you and the topic in general may have brought up some some wounds and some trauma for you and i know for me um for a long time it did and there are even some moments now um when i'm around other people's families or i watch something on tv where those moments from my past get brought up and hit a tender spot but i don't want you to ignore that I want you to remember that regardless of what home has looked like in the past, you get to decide what home looks like now um, and that you get to write the story however you want it to be. So don't push those emotions down. Um, Like one of my favorite mentors from afar, Tiffany Rowe says, you have to feel, deal, and heal. Um, It's the only way Uh, to do it is to feel those emotions, to deal with them, and eventually those things will heal. Um, But your home is what you make it, and if you want it to be sweet, it will be sweet. Um, So go ahead and 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 work through those work through those emotions. That's my encouragement for you today. And uh, the next time you're in my neighborhood, uh, give a shout if you know where I live. I'm not going to publish my address on the internet for everyone to know. Um, but yeah, home is what you make it. And even even if it's not a place, you can be home to someone else. There we have it, folks. Another episode of Sad But Cute. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to like and subscribe. I am a big fan of your life. Love ya. Mean it. Bye.